parent kind of changes your outlook on life sometimes, doesn't it? It makes you look at things in, from a different perspective and, and to see things in, in new light. Um, today, uh, I'm going to ask you to maybe try to look at things a, a little different. Uh, welcome to week three of our Parenthood series. And today, we're going to uh, be talking about a difficult topic that uh, is probably going to cause a little bit of uh, you to not like what you're about to hear. It's kind of a, a controversial subject. Uh, it's on the topic of discipline. And I thought it was appropriate as we're at uh, you know, Parent-Child Dedication Day, how this is a part of, of what we do as parents, to talk about discipline. Um, a, as parents, we know we need to discipline, right? And yet, how we go about doing that at times can be kind of elusive. To, to know what to do and, and what not to do. So uh, we're going to talk about discipline, and as we start, I, I think it's a good idea to clarify what I mean whenever I talk about discipline. So I, I give you this definition, and if you want to follow along in the back of your bulletin and, and write these things in, I invite you to do, to do that. Discipline is correction driven by love. It's correction. It's not punishment, per se. It's correction. It's driven uh, out of a heart of love because we love our children and, and not out of anything else like anger or revenge or, or anything like that. It, it's simply correction driven by love. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says this, My son, do, make, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. It's correction driven by love. Now how important is that? Well, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18 says this. It says, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Parents, one of the things that we need to understand is, as parents, there's, there's a major battle going on for your children. There's, there's a major battle going on, and it's important that as parents, you win that battle. You win the battle of not necessarily control, but of direction, of influence. Uh, you, you have to be sure that, that you win that almost at, at any cost. You must win it decisively. And if you find yourself as a parent constantly nagging or yelling or bribing or threatening, I'm here to tell you you're losing the battle, okay? You're not, you're not winning at this point. I, I've heard parents say these things to me as we're talking about parents, their parenting style and the way they discipline, but they say, but I want my kids to like me. Any parent ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But your children, more than anything, need you to be their parent, not their friend. There'll come a point down the road that you can be their friend, but right now they probably need you to be their parent. I heard this many years ago. Discipline is not something you do to them. Discipline is something you do for them. I like what Zig Ziglar had to say. When he said, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. Discipline. Correction driven by love. And, and there's many different types of kids. There's many different types of parents out there. And I want to talk just real quickly about uh, three different types of parents and see maybe if you can identify yourself with one of, or more of these. The first one we're going to look at is uh, a lifeguard parent. Um, lifeguard parenting is one way you can do this. Uh, another word that might better describe a lifeguard parent is an enabler parent. For instance, they're the parents that often rescue their child from the consequences uh, of what they do. The child gets into trouble, and what happens? Soup for mom sweeps in and saves the day so that little Johnny can be completely taken care of. It's going to be okay, right? That's, that's the favorite saying of 
of a lifeguard parent, it's going to be okay, and then they come in. And you can tell you're a, a lifeguard parent if you've delivered lunch money or money or lunch, uh, homework, gym clothes, or whatever the child may have forgotten at home simply because they've forgotten it three times already this year, okay? You just might be a, a lifeguard parent. And if you did this for your child and your child is a sophomore in college, we need to talk immediately when the service is over today. We'll have intervention. Anyway, um, lifeguard parents, uh, oftentimes they, they don't want to allow their child to face the consequences of their own actions, even the consequences of their own sin. Why is this important? Why should we allow our children to face uh, the consequences? God's word tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, in God's economy, he, he has set this up to where if you live underneath his rules and his uh, guidelines, then you will receive the consequences of that, which are usually in the form of blessings. And if you choose to live outside of the, the confines and the directions of God's word, that you will receive the consequences, which oftentimes are negative in nature. We have to give our children the freedom. We have to give them the responsibility. We have to give our children the gift of facing those types of consequences of their decisions. For example, if your child hasn't gotten their science fair project done that's due tomorrow, and they've been goofing off all weekend, you don't rush in and save them at the 11th hour. You don't do it for them. What we must, must teach them is if you don't prepare well, you're less likely to succeed. There are consequences for your actions. If your child takes the, the money that you give them to buy lunch at school and instead buys an iTunes gift card or something else, you don't give them more money for lunch. They miss a meal. They will survive if they miss a meal. It will be okay, and it will be a valuable lesson learned. Lifeguard parents sweep in and rescue their kids from their consequences. Sometimes you have to. I get it. You're not going to let them run out in front of a bus if they're making a bad decision, but a lot of times we rescue our children when what we really need to do is allow them to face the consequences of their decision or their actions. Parents, how many of you would be willing to say, you know what, I, I've I am or I've been a lifeguard parent at times with my children. Some of you are like, I'm going to admit it, but I'm not raising my hand. So there's another type of parent out there, and uh, we we'll refer to that parent as the Etch-a-Sketch parent. How many start off with, how many of you know what this is? How many of you have played with one of these or owned one of these? Okay, very good. Uh, Etch-a-Sketch, an amazing toy where... You take these, these knobs and you, you draw different lines. All I can ever do is draw lines because I'm not talented enough. There's a picture on here right now that my daughter made, right? Um, but w the idea of this is with an Etch-a-Sketch, one of the main things you can do, if you can see it there, is make a line, right? And then what happens when you turn it upside down and you shake it? What happens to it? It disappears, right? And a lot of times we're like that as parents. We set up these rules, we set up these guidelines, we, we say, this is the way it's going to be, and then later that night, or the next day, or the next week, we just go, <sighs> and a child ends up not knowing where the line is, and they don't have any sense of, of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and we become, as parents, an etch-a-sketch type of parent. Scripture says this in Proverbs twenty-nine fifteen: the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Verse 17 says, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. 
You see, the danger is, as a parent, that I can be pretty inconsistent. I can be the marine captain, you know, person in charge of my family where you're going to do your chores, you're going to make sure your bed is made, you're going to dot your I's, you're going to cross your T's, and everything's going to be perfect. It can be that one day, and then the next day it's the love boat, right? I just want everybody to be happy, I want everybody to get along, I want to make sure my kids like me, and it doesn't matter if you make your, eh, it doesn't, oh, forget it, we'll get it, right? And our kids are like, well, who's going to show up today at your sketch parent, Right? And we don't think about it like that, but that's kind of the way it is. Our, our children need for us to be consistent. They need us to have uh, consistency so they can develop that sense of consistency as well. Any of you out there be willing to say, you know what, I've been inconsistent as a parent with my kids? Another type of parent probably best described as split, split decision parents. And, and what I mean by that, and I have nothing to hold up here, is is they're divided. They're not in unison. They're not unified. They disagree. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. See, one of the most important things that, that we can do as parents is to keep a unified stance in front of our children. Now, here's where it gets hard, because in our society today with divorce and remarriage and blended families and things, um, it, it gets difficult. You have... Uh, parents of children who are no longer married and they don't even want to talk to each other. They don't like each other and it makes it difficult on the child. But, but here's the thing. Kids are smart. They know how to play you against the other one and they're good at that and, and they do that to get their way. They, they have a way of making you just do things that maybe you normally wouldn't do. But for the sake of your children, you have to do everything you can to make sure that you have a unified stance when it comes to your children. Here's the deal, parents. If you need to disagree with each other, and you will, you will disagree with each other, don't do it in front of the kids. You talk about that behind closed doors. You delay making the decision until you can go and talk about these things. It, it doesn't matter in the family dynamics if you, you're still married to the, parent, to the child's parent or not, because... The reality is, is that when you're married, there is no yours and mine or hers or his. They're yours. When you got married, they became yours. It's, it's a part of the family. And, and that yours may mean that not only is it two people, it's four people or five. It, it just depends on the family dynamic. You have to do everything you can to make sure that you're presenting a unified front together. For the sake of your children, that's what you have to do. Uh, one of the things that Michelle and I try to do is we try to consult each other before we make decisions, especially when it comes to making decisions for our children. It all started back when it was just the four of us. I was a brand new dad. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, you know, Michelle helped me through this. And, and we started making decisions and figuring out what was the right thing to do. It's important, parents, that you be unified for the sake of your children so that they can have, again, that consistency and they can know that, that that's the way it's going to be. Would, uh, would any of you be willing to admit that maybe you haven't been unified in your parenting? Sometimes it happens. It's tough because we're not perfect people. Uh, at least I'm not. Uh, we're not perfect parents. Michelle and I aren't, at least. Maybe you are, but our, our kids know that, and we, we try to, to confess that. We, we try to be honest with the imperfections that we have in, in our lives individually and in, in our lives as parents, and, and we confess things to God. We confess them to each other. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for, for healing. We ask for growing. We try to change. We try to become more and more like Christ so that he can renew us each and every day. 
So how do we do this discipline thing? How, how do we do it? What do we do? Well, I want to kind of answer that by suggesting some things that I think we should expect from our children, some things that we can expect from ourselves as well. And here's the deal. I know there's going to be some disagreement with some of the things I'm about to say. There are different philosophies. There are different beliefs. There's different interpretations. And some of what I might say may step on your toes. And that's okay because some of what I'm going to say is going to step on my own toes as well. All right? You may disagree. You may be be looking through about halfway through what I'm about to say and be looking for my email address in the bulletin so that you can send me that scathing email and tell me how wrong I am and how you need to reread this and how you haven't heard this latest and blah, blah, all this stuff. You know what? Before you do that, before you allow your emotions to rule the day, I just ask you to consider these things. I'm not claiming that I have this all figured out and I've got it all right. Simply saying, let's consider these things. Let's look at what God's word says and let's see how that applies to our life. The first thing we should expect is we should expect from our children first-time obedience. First-time obedience. Scripture says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. It should be on the screen behind me. It says, children, obey your parents after they've warned you several times and they really, really mean it. It's not what it says at all, is it? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It doesn't say, children, learn your parents tell. Learn when you know they really mean what they just said. Learn what it means to obey them after they've said, I mean it this time. Don't make me stop the car. I'm going to count to three. One, two, don't make that face at me, two and a half. No, you know, as parents, We need to expect first-time obedience from our children the same way God expects first-time obedience from us. We should expect that from our children, not only outward obedience, but inward obedience as well. Look at what Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. All right, parents, there's one for you to, to write down and put up on your refrigerator and that, you know, make that the memory verse for your kids. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's important that, that we teach our children that, that when it comes to discipline, when it comes to doing things, it, there must be first-time obedience, and it must be done with a proper attitude. I've got to tell you this. If this is not something that you're already doing, if it's not something you've started whenever, you, uh, whenever your children were, were little, trying to impose this first-time obedience is going to take a lot of work. It's going to be really pretty difficult. The older your children are, the, the harder and the longer it's going to take to break those bad habits that not only they have, but that you have. And you're going to be tempted to go, you know what, this is way too difficult. I'm going to go back to yelling. I'm going to go back to bribing. I'm going to go back to counting to three. I'm going to go back to doing those things that I've always done because that's what I'm comfortable with and that's what I'm used to. And yet, I want to challenge you to practice this first-time obedience and to expect that from your children. There's also something that can be expected from you as parents, and that's number two, to never discipline in anger. Never. Not under any circumstances, not ever. And just let me say this, there's way too much of that that goes on in our world today, people responding in anger. The Bible clearly tells us in Ephesians 4.12, in your anger, do not sin. There was a a friend of mine uh, from back from college who, he was really quick with his tongue. And you may know people like that. They are really good with a the comeback. They've got a smart aleck remark. And that skill got him in trouble a lot. 
especially as a child, and it got him in trouble a lot with his mother most often. Well, the story is told that one day uh, dad was driving, mom was in the passenger seat, and son was behind her, and uh, something happened, and he smarted off to his mother, and she turned around and uh, was going to hit him on the mouth. You know, I don't know, I'm not uh, you know, saying that's a great thing, but that's what she was going to do, and he dodged it. And then he said, strike one. According to my friend, never has a car in recorded human history stopped and gotten over to the side of the road more quickly than that car did that day. And not only was he disciplined for what he had done, he was disciplined for what he had said and the way he disrespected his mother. And the way he was disciplined was he received a spanking. And that brings up one of those admittedly very controversial subjects when it comes to discipline. And my email address is inside cover, bottom left-hand side, so if you need to find that. The topic of spanking, uh, to be just really transparent, um, at our house, we believe that there is a time, especially when your children are younger, that, that spanking is an optional form of discipline. Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> now, I realize that that is a very politically incorrect statement. But I want to argue with you that I think it's a biblically correct statement. And it's one of many effective forms of discipline. Now hear me out on this. Spanking is one form of discipline that was rarely, and I mean very, very, very rarely ever used at our house. We talked to the kids about that this week, and they're like, I don't ever remember. So if that tells you anything. And the reason for this is because we reserve spanking for the big things, right? The big stuff in life. Uh, at, our, at our house, the only reason you would ever have fear of spanking is if you demonstrated willful, intentional disobedience and rebellion. Had to be willful, had to be intentional. And, and now that our children are older, I don't know if I want them to hear this or not, but it's really not an option anymore, right? It's just other forms of, of discipline um, are more effective, and those are the ones we pursue. The Bible addresses this idea of spanking, and, and while the word, you know, if you were to Google spanking in the Bible, you're going to get all these different things to say, it's not in there, it's not in there. You're right, the word spanking is not in there. And yet, there's a, a handful of, of verses that talk about it, and mainly in the book of Proverbs, and I've asked Jeff to put those on the screen, and you can you know, jot those down you know, right now, and you can look them up and then email me. Uh, the primary word here used in there is, is about the rod. All right? And the argument is that the rod, oh, you take a rod and you beat your children with it. No, 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 no. What is discipline? Discipline is correction driven by love. Think about the 23rd Psalm where it's talking about Jesus as our shepherd. His rod and his staff, they beat me? No. Rod and my staff, they comfort me. It, it, it's something that, that we should always keep in mind that the primary motivation here is to discipline your child, not to injure not to punish, but to discipline and to correct. In its most basic form, spanking is a discipline that uses negative reinforcement. And I have to tell you, it's most effective when it's counterbalanced with this overwhelming heavy dose of positive reinforcement. You see, kids are going to mess up. You know this as children, except for a couple of you who think your children are perfect. But kids are going to mess up. They're going to do wrong. And where you discipline them is you need to discipline them in a way that is most effective. We have found that um, what works best in, in our house is that a loss of privilege or giving the children additional responsibilities, not allowing them to go hang out with friends or to do this or that, uh, something along those lines is what works well. The hard part is this, though. 
there's no one set way to discipline your child because not only does your child change, uh, you know, grows and matures, and so things change that way, but each child is different. And, and I illustrate that this way. Um, our oldest son, Josh, when he would get in trouble, the worst thing we could do was to send him to his room so that he had to be alone, isolation, because that boy, he loves to be with people. And so to make him be by himself was awful. It's what he didn't want to do. Contrast that with our daughter, Tanya. She wanted us to send her to her room. She wanted to be alone. So her torture was she had to hang out with us. She had to be with one of us all the time. It just, it's just different things. To tell Carissa that she's lost her phone privileges or she can't go get coffee or she can't use the computer. To tell Caitlin that she can't read her book series or, or type on the computer. To tell Cale that he can't play on the Wii or put together a puzzle. You would think we were the most evil, dastardly, monstrous parents that ever lived. Yet that's what works for our children. Parents, I want to encourage you to implement forms of discipline that fit the crime. The idea is that the punishment, the discipline fits the crime. The goal is to make discipline be the end of the day so that they are they're taught and things change so that you can correct their behavior and their attitude. I can remember as a kid being spanked one time, just once. According to my parents, it happened more than that, but... Just once that I can remember, um, I was very angry at my sister, and I took a wet dish rag, and I threw it at her. And while my aim was good because I hit her, my timing was really bad because just as I released it, my father walked around the corner. And that's all she wrote for me, as they say. And I've got to tell you, it wasn't a pleasant experience, and yet I also know what Scripture says. Hebrews twelve eleven: no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You see, I knew that my father loved me because he never disciplined out of anger. He disciplined out of love. He disciplined out of a desire to help me grow and to mature and to become a man after God's own heart. His direction was to help me be the type of person that he envisioned for me to be, not the type of person I was or that I wanted to be. He wanted me to, to understand what it meant to follow God and, and to obey what he had said. You see, if, if you decide to spank as parents, if that's something you decide to do, then you need to enforce the rules when you spank. You need to make sure that, that you set the rules and you don't ever spank in anger. You, you hug your kids. You make sure that they know that they are loved. You don't do it in a humiliating or embarrassing way. You don't do it in front of their friends or in front of other family members. You, you do it in such a way that it's going to be corrected. And I realize, again, that that's not politically correct, but, but I think we can draw that from the scriptures that it's biblically correct. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it states that the, that the Father will do the discipline. Now, I understand that some of you may be going, so are you saying as a pastor that, that you abuse your kids? <laughs> no. Uh, hopefully you know me better than that. You can talk to my kids. You can, you know, whatever. Uh, that, that's not the case at all. I know the arguments about why people don't want to spank. One of the, one of the ones that I hear often is that uh, spanking develops angry, rebellious, and violent kids. Those of you who are uh, 38, 40, and over, over, raise your hand real quick for me. Okay, 
at school? Was spanking a possibility for you? Yeah, exactly. You got in trouble. What happened? They marched you down to the principal's office, and sitting on the principal's desk is this big old paddle with holes in it, right? And he would explain to you what you had done wrong, and he would then spank your precious little backside. And then you had to call your parents and tell them, right? That was the worst thing ever. The argument is that if that produces violent, you know, kids, they stopped doing that shortly after I left school. So the next groups that have gone through school should be the most compliant, peace-loving, gentle kids on the planet, right? Maybe not. I know there's a lot more we could talk about with this, but we're going to move on. And if you desire to discuss this further, send me that email. We can get together. We can talk about it. We can set that up. Um, We're going to move on. We need to expect first-time obedience. We need to uh, agree to never discipline and anger. And number three, we need to discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. I alluded to this just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Um, one of the keys to disciplining your children is to handle it promptly. I really want to discourage you uh, from using the phrase, wait till your father gets home, or wait till your mother gets home, or what, you know. We need to do so uh, promptly. Then what we do with our kids after you address it promptly is is you talk to them about what they did. Uh, You have to ask questions like, what did you do wrong? And in that, we're instructing our kids. That's what what we have always tried to do because a lot of times, as kids, they don't think it's their fault, right? Well, they deserved it. They got what was coming to them. I was just doing because, well, he hit me for whatever, we try to get our kids to own what they did, to identify what they did, and, and to see what their own actions, how their own actions were wrong, and come to a point of admitting that it was wrong, and that they've even sinned and, and understand uh, what they did wrong. Then we try to help them by instructing them and, and asking them, well, what can we do different? What can you do different next time? How can you handle this? And, and it's trying to train them to see that, that there's always an opportunity to do something in a different way. You can handle it differently next time and come up with a game plan now so that when you're faced with a situation like that in the future, you'll know what to do next time. Instruction, and then comes reconciliation. You did this wrong, here's the punishment, here's the discipline, and now you're forgiven. You hug your child, you make sure that they know that they're loved, and then you go about your day. And I know something that that we have tried to do is we don't bring it up again unless the child needs to talk about it. And what does that do? I think it does a couple of things. The first thing I think it does is that it it plants within our child, hopefully, the understanding of what Jesus did for them on the cross. They start to understand, maybe intuitively at first, and then at a deeper level um, as they grow, that that sin has to be punished. When, When you do wrong, it has to be punished, but Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And once we believe that what God did was enough for us, then he declares us forgiven and justice has been satisfied. It teaches our children the the principles of God's divine economy, that even if before they're able to understand it and verbalize it, it it teaches them that, that Jesus took that penalty for us. And I think that in doing that, and not having it formalized like that, but in doing these things, that I think it helped each one of our children come to the point where they said individually, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to serve him and serve him alone to make him my Lord and Savior. I want to be obedient to him in baptism. I want to to be obedient to him in the ways in which he's told me to be obedient to him 
in Scripture. And I think that because of those things, all these things kind of wrapped up together, they're making that relationship with God a real and vibrant and growing relationship that for the rest of their days, they will hopefully strive to serve Him and to serve the loving God who took their place on the cross so that they could have life and life eternal with Him. It's that goal of raising our children so that they can see beyond where they are to where God would have them to be in that relationship. And, and that's our desire, honestly, for everyone here today, to have that relationship with the Lord, to realize what God has done for you, and then to respond to his invitation to you. To realize that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die so that, so that we could have life and we could have life eternal. And it tells us that he will discipline us and correct us and, and show us the way so that we can stay on his path. Jesus offered his life. And he has called us to do kind of what we talked about here this morning, to practice that first-time obedience, to, to respond to what Jesus has done, to, to be the type of person that is willing to, to follow through and, and to do the things that God has called you to do. And we want to invite you this morning to respond to him, to, to look at God as your heavenly father, your parent, and know that he loves you, that he wants that relationship with you, and he wants to give you that life and life to the full. He doesn't want you to stay where you are, stuck in the doldrums of sin and of life that is incomplete, but he wants to give you that complete life by following him and having that relationship with him. We want to invite you to, uh, to respond to his invitation. And if you want to talk to someone, we invite you to make your way over toward the cross uh, here in just a moment. And we're, we would love to have the opportunity to pray with you, to, to counsel with you, to encourage you, to help you understand more about God's relationship and his desire to have that relationship with you. Stand with me. The band's going to lead us. If you want to talk to someone, you make your way over to the cross. We'll meet you there.